0: say, I'm out here doing everything
1: million from some trying to the All right, everybody. Welcome to another fabuloso edition of Break Some Dishes. We're multilingual. Fabuloso. Is that Spanish, Verda? I don't think so, John. <laughs> Damn. All right. Well, never mind the bilingual part of the show. We're here today because, uh, as usual, we are extremely excited about our guest. His name is Greg Norris. He is another scientist. I feel Verda like we're turning into snobs. We only talk to scientists.
2: Anymore. I know, <laughs> but we talk to passionate scientists, and this uh, guy's amazing. He's he has a spiritual quality to him as well. Greg is the founding father of handprinting, which is so fundamental to a lot of the tools that we need in our industry to know if we're doing the right thing.
1: Yeah. He is a pioneer behind this whole handprinting movement, which basically says enough with being less bad. You can't continue to say, I'm going to let less carbon into the atmosphere. I'm going to try to pollute less water. I'm going to try to to put less into the landfills. We've now reached a point where we have to start fixing things and making things better. And that's the only way we're going to survive. And so that's what really, that's what hand printing is all about. And Verda, I was totally shocked that he has that spiritual edge to him because he's a scientist. You don't expect that.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I talk about science and passion a lot. And I, I love how he's put these two together and talks about yeah giving back and that that is that is the start of this idea of a ripple effect that he also talks about and a rebound effect that is what it's going to take for us to turn things around.
1: Mm, yep, yeah, another great episode and so we uh, we welcome we welcome Greg Norris today. Hey Greg, good to see you. We're we're officially recording now, so Clean up your language. It was pretty uh, it was pretty bad there in the beginning.
0: <laughs> I was a salty activist there for a minute, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, you got a little salty. Well, it's funny because we were just talking about, before I hit the record button, that Virta's code name for today's episode is an agreeable scientist, and yours is a calm transmitter. So we all have roles to play. And I'm the salty activist as usual. Greg, thanks for joining us. I yeah. can't tell you how exciting it is to have you Nice today.
2: to meet
0: you, Greg. It's great to meet you too, Verda, and good to be back with you, John, uh, after our chat yeah. a while ago. Yeah.
1: Absolutely, time goes by quickly when you're measuring it in pandemic days. I oh. think it's like measuring things in dog years.
0: Yeah. Right? else. Yeah.
1: Well, so Verda, Greg, yeah. Greg is one of those individuals with a body of work so vast. It's, it doesn't seem fair to try to squeeze him into a single episode, but but who knows? This might be uh, Greg Norris, episode one. Who knows?
2: He's also a workaholic. I've checked yeah. out your LinkedIn. You're on three or four different enterprises all at the same time, so look forward yeah. to hearing about those.
1: Yeah. Greg, tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now. You're co-director yeah. of Shine, but I'd like it. I'd like sure. to tell everybody about that, yeah.
0: Sure, and it's yeah. I think you know I've never heard the term roleaholic before. You know, just someone um, with too many <laughs> roles, but that that seems to be it. I I try to keep work manageable, but I definitely find myself in a lot of different roles. Shine is one of them, John. So co-director of Shine at MIT, and Shine, as you, you know, is stands for um, Sustainability and Health Initiative for Net Positive Enterprise. A colleague of ours, a communications uh, specialist, helped us discover the the acronym SHINE for that. That's impressive. You need one. You know, you need a good (laughs) acronym. It's about working with organizations and mainly companies, enterprises, to help them pursue net positive. And we're doing that in a way that helps us learn. The researchers involved helps us learn. What happens when an organization sets out to actually do that? What are all the stumbling blocks? How does it work? What are some of the unforeseen gems that that get discovered along the way too? This was something started about 2013 or so. Shine is about working with companies to help them pursue net positive and help us all learn from their journey so that we can make it more feasible, more rewarding, more effective doing so with, with other companies, you know, they're blazing a trail basically for, for companies.
1: I've known of you for a a long time and I feel like the trail that you've blazed has really been for our listeners to sort of understand where you come from has really come from the life cycle analysis, um, end of things and, Mm -hmm. uh, trying to do a better job of understanding our impact. Mm-hmm. through the materials that we choose and the product that we manufacture, right? It's mm-hmm. it's about understanding the footprint, which sort of leads us to what I think is a really brilliant, I don't want to say invention, but your uh, modeling uh, strategy of hand printing comes into play. And I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about hand printing because it's just a great way of really trying and at least to offset your footprint, which is a pretty cool concept.
0: Thanks. Sure, I'll be glad to to share a little bit about that. And maybe the story of how footprinting brought me to handprints is a, a fun one and and maybe helpful. As you say, John, I've been doing life cycle assessment, which you could say is the the practice of quantifying footprints professionally now for little over 25 years. And a funny story there is that I went back to grad school after a brief career in the aerospace industry to get into sustainability. And my research advisor, wonderful man by the name of Bob Harris, Robert Harris, he went to a workshop held by the National Academy of Sciences, I think, in the early 90s about life cycle assessment, and he brought the proceedings back. He thought I might like it. And I took one look, and I said, boring, and and um, pushed it aside. It, it didn't have... It, it's interesting. Why did I do that? Is because it seemed so static. There were no feedback loops. There was no sort of evolution. It was just accounting, and I'm not a particularly... Mm. You know, a details person, I wouldn't say. I'm definitely not an yeah. accountant. Um, it's
1: pretty burdensome stuff.
0: It is. It, right? Footprinting <laughs> can be. Yeah, you yeah. You know, it's you need so much data because you're trying to understand what are the implications of this decision to, you know, make my coffee this way or that way or drive this kind of car or that kind of car or, or, or whatever it might be. And in order to answer that question, there are incredible ripple effects through the economy that you need to have some quantitative sense of, and you need to know the impacts of those ripple effects and, and total them all up to get your footprint. But Deep into the supply chain, right? That's right. That's right. You're, yeah. you're way, way off into you know, thousands of, of connections out there globally. It's pretty wonderful, actually. When you use it as a stimulant for thinking about, how did I get this cup of coffee? What did it take? That can be a really, almost a spiritual kind of practice to do. Thich Nhat Hanh talks a little bit about that. And I I sometimes do it with my kid. We trace things back, you know, to sunlight. He's kind of come to he's nine now. and, And at age nine or eight, we had this for the first time. And he concluded that everything goes back to the sun. (laughs)
1: That's great.
0: Then I found myself doing footprinting, basically doing life cycle assessment, which is a a cool field. It's international. I had a chance to to work with people all over the planet in life cycle assessment and to do research and evolve the field and add things that seem to be missing and so on. But probably five years into LCA or so, around 2000, somewhere it just hit me that I was never going to get my footprint to zero. You know, I was a vegetarian. I was doing all the things that you can do as a kind of eco-citizen. Well, I wasn't doing all of them, but I was doing things. But it was easy enough to see that I'd never get to zero or even close. And so I kind of concluded, well, if that's the case, then the planet's better off without me.
1: Dark days yeah. our scientists. I, I,
0: <laughs> I know. they're just a, a calm <laughs> transmitter here. <laughs> So I asked myself, how would we change that? How could I change that? And being a life cycle assessment consultant, and one of my clients at the time was Caterpillar, with their huge bulldozers and and other kinds of equipment. And I think right away that I realized, well, if I could be a cause of Caterpillar making one of their pieces of equipment more environmentally friendly. I I, I won't be the only cause, but if I could be one of the causes, if this could be something that wouldn't have happened without me, them making their bulldozer greener somehow, then uh, that would be a benefit for the planet, much greater than the cost that the planet is paying for my presence here. Basically, I could give more than I take, and we want to reduce what we take, but we we then we want to amplify and continuously try to grow. Uh, what we give. For me, that was the birth of the handprinting idea. I quickly saw that you don't have to be an LCA consultant to have a handprint. You, you could just buy a few. At the time, it was compact fluorescent light bulbs. Now it's LEDs. You, you buy a few LEDs and give them to friends and say, try this out. And, and you'll probably like it. And it's going to save you money. If you do that enough times, or another great one that I've actually followed through on, believe it or not, is buy a pump. I, I bought a, I'm tempted to go grab it. It's a, it's a nice portable compressor, and it'll inflate a tire pretty quick. It's a battery-powered um, inflator for car tires. And if you properly inflate your car tires, that'll reduce your footprint by about 1%. The average American who drives, which we used to do more of, you know, um, pre-pandemic. Basically, by getting your tires fully inflated, that's about a 1% reduction in your total annual carbon footprint. So Mm -hmm. it's a drop in the bucket for me. But if I take that compressor to a parking lot, like a grocery store parking lot, and I bring my son, who's cute, so people don't run away from us. And I say I'm trying to help the planet, and and we just are, are checking people's tires. If I can get a hundred people's tires inflated, I'm net positive for the year right there. You
2: and know? that's kind of how we have to be thinking nowadays, right? It makes me think of the word sustainability. That that word is sure is old school now. Doesn't yeah. We need to be thinking way You're beyond right. sustainability. Do you have a new You're word right. for us?
0: You're right. That's a okay. yeah. You know, these days, we're, we, you're right. We have to be thinking about... I don't really have a word. I think regenerative is is a, is a word that people are mm-hmm. using. Yeah. I that actually is. tried to call this beneficent. I was calling it... Oh. For a little while, I was saying beneficent because the idea was you're being beneficial and efficient somehow. So you're, you're reducing your footprint. That's the efficiency. And then you're being beneficial. That's your handprint. Dan Goleman, uh, the author of um, a lot of books, including the bestseller, Emotional Intelligence. Dan was the one responsible for uh, a meeting that, that really changed my life and also the life of handprints with the Dalai Lama, which we could talk about. But Dan said, you know, you're trying to coin a new word here, and it, that's, that's a tough hill to climb. Just talk about handprints which people can understand and footprints, he might've suggested net positive, or at least he agreed that that was easier. But I think that regenerative net positive has its own issues. So somehow it does, you know, generous is another word uh, that I like a lot. We don't have the perfect word for this yet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, why do I get the sense that there's a spirituality to your, your mindset? Greg?
0: You know, I, think, I, f- I feel that way too. It It's, fi- it's philosophical and even it, it ultimately does connect. It becomes spiritual. You're right. I had an exercise with my students at the, you know, I teach life cycle assessment at the university level. I have done that every fall. This past year, the first exercise we did, I called it a gratitude tree. And I basically said, when you have a meal next week, Stop and think to yourself, what had to happen for me to receive this meal? And who was involved, again, for me to receive this meal? It never ends. I mean, that chain, we're talking about the supply chain, you go out. This came to me while I was actually cooking some fresh tuna on the grill. It was um, late August, early September, and I just saw the body, the piece of the body of this tuna. There And it just hit me, you know, that this creature had been swimming and now, you know, it, its life had been taken and I'm one of the recipients of this. And But what had to happen? I mean, that tuna swam for how many years in the ocean, eating smaller fish. And there was obviously uh, someone with a boat who caught this fish and then people processed it. But then the boat had its own supply chain. Someone had to make that boat and there was fuel. For the boat, it just you know it goes on and on, and of course the fish that the tuna ate had their own supply chains, and we're just the interconnectedness of everything, including the incredible dependency of each moment of of our lives on this interconnectedness, this foundation that we're always living on is just, if you open your your heart to it, it, it does become spiritual pretty quick, I think.
2: It seems like yeah. we've lost a lot of that interconnectedness and that's big reason we're in this mess that we're in right now.
0: Isn't it true? Yeah, yeah, we're so feeling in our in our little bubbles. That's right.
2: Yeah. I think what
1: you're saying, Greg, makes a lot of sense. Anytime you you sit down to consume. Yeah. Whether it's a meal yeah. or you're involved in consumerism and you're about to open a new package, maybe it's a new electronic device or whatever. Are you taking the time to understand the supply chain, everything that had to be activated to make that thing mm-hmm. possible that you're about to consume? Yeah. I think consume that consume
2: and or make. I'm thinking of just as a designer creating spaces and what that yeah. All yeah. entails.
1: We have to take off these kid gloves that we've worn for so long because, Greg, you know, you – I think you still are a scientist for ILFI, right? Or was that a past role? Are you still involved?
0: I'm still um, in that relationship, but I'm not currently like on the payroll. Gotcha. Yeah.
1: Well, we were talking to Jason McLennan. mm mm-hmm. um, Not too long ago. And, you know, Jason kind of calls it the way he sees it and he doesn't let anybody off the hook. And one of the things that I was always saying was, you know, when it comes to sustainability and footprinting and understanding our impact, uh, don't get overwhelmed, you know, break off what you can manage, right? Just figure out how you can make an impact. As little as it may be, start somewhere. And Jason was like, no, man, (laughs) no, (laughs) it's actually a pretty big problem. And just Be a big boy or a big girl and and manage more things than you think you can. It may not be fun. It may not be comfortable. It may be a little bit stressful. But by God, it's kind of a big problem. So can we just all pick it up and try to deal with it? And that's the way you talk about it. I mean, When you look at a piece of tuna and you Mm. try to go back up that supply chain and figure out everything that had to be done to put that tuna on your grill, I think a lot of us don't want to do that.
2: That that's a lot no, of brain but, work. But John, you're right. I think individual action is only going to get us so far. And at, at this late in the game, it's it's really not enough. It's it's it helps us feel better being vegetarian or or doing whatever, but we really need to be looking at ways to make systemic change and and quickly. I want to thank you, Greg, before I forget, you know, for all of your work with ILFI and these life cycle assessments and the net positive metrics that you're working on now because it gives businesses a way to determine how they're doing to to set a bar and then see if they can meet that and it's without it i don't know there'd be no way of really knowing if you're doing the right thing or or not
0: you know it's true i i think well you guys have both just touched on a lot of key topics that um I'd love to practically list, you know, on a whiteboard and let's, let's take a little quick look at each of them. You know, one of them was this, John, you were talking about uh, Jason, him basically saying we might have to suffer and we, you know, he's a green warrior for him. This is, this is serious and we got to bust our butts on this problem. And that's an interesting frame. And then you were saying, well, to understand your ripples, that's, that's a real challenge. It makes your brain hurt and and, and so forth. Uh, and then, Verde, you're saying individual action doesn't cut it. It's got to be system change. Let's take a quick look at each of those. One really special moment for me in trying to figure out how to express handprints simply came when I had to go. Well, I was invited to speak to some students, elementary school students in Montreal in French about handprints. So hard enough to. To boil this down, you know, for elementary school, and then you got to even say it in French, which I managed, but it was probably pretty uh, clunky. But what I realized was it's, it's really simple. First, we talked, and this was an art school, by the way. The day I arrived th- was in a week where they were displaying their artwork at the end of the year. So it was a. we were in a gymnasium and, and just picture amazing paintings and designs all over the walls and stuff. It was beautiful. I said, first of all, handprints are just about ripple effects. So first, let's understand that we're connected to the world, just like the gratitude tree we talked about, and it, and it means that you know you're you're connected to people all over the world, and you when you do one local thing, it ripples out. The second ripple is bad news. It's, it's let's call it the Jason ripple. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> you know, it's the fact that that boat is spewing oil into the ocean and it, it has emissions and the the refinery where the oil came from is has negative impacts and so on and so forth. Each one of these interconnected processes that are supporting our lives has some sort of way in which it's making a larger, small, negative impact on the planet and oftentimes on people. As well. It can be mistreating people. There's there's good aspects to our ripple where you're helping live you know promote livelihoods out there, but there's also could be the negative social impacts as well. But the third piece is that we can not only reduce these negative ripples, which that's the efficiency again, but we can use the fact of ripple effect power to do beautiful healing things in the world. I was able with the students to say you see this artwork your artwork could inspire people all over Montreal to take actions to heal the planet and you could actually create positive changes in Montreal and rippling out into the world that are that are very large. You have incredible power with this and This is to your comment, Verda, that, you know, companies realizing what they can do. If we take this sort of first natural inclination about handprints, we use it to justify ourselves. It's kind of the first place people seem to go. And companies, very much the case. They say, oh, so you're telling me that, yes, I have a footprint, but I also have a handprint and I got to go tell that to all these people who've been criticizing our company and saying we're we're just bad for the earth. We're actually not so bad after all. People want affirmation and companies really feel this need, but it's justification based on today. That's a sort of not so enlightened, but natural place to start. But the next step where you really can go is you say, wow, I didn't realize I had all this power, all this latent ability to send out positive ripples, I need to understand this better. Maybe I'll learn about my current ripples and that'll inspire me and give me ideas for how I could amplify those ripples 10, 100, 1000 fold. And that's where we're, that's where we really want to be in hand printing is Mm -hmm. if it has to start by just kind of getting off of the guilt precipice, that's empowering. But yeah, but but ultimately, you know, as I often say to people and companies, um, net positive is not a goal until the humanity's net positive. We've got more work to do. You know, we just got to keep amplifying those handprints.
1: Well, do you get any criticism on the net part of it? Because there is an implication that you're not really, you know, a lot of us talk about being at net zero, right? Mm hmm. and and i think there's a growing voice out there saying well you know anybody can be net zero now if you buy enough carbon offsets right
0: right right i've been kind of bummed out about the net part as well for quite a while that's why i say we don't have the best the perfect word for this yet because partly net zero and even net positive it sort of talks about like net zero is obviously a a specific place on the number line you know it's like a goal and a target and oh you know if companies quickly get into this do i have the net positive halo or not and that's just not the point uh you know the point again is this sort of this generosity type orientation of uh, as long as there's work to be done getting the human footprint into the carrying capacity of the biosphere we're not done I had a project with the Japanese government years ago, and they the first task was supposed to take us a day or two. It was define sustainable consumption. I feel like I spent a week or two on that first task of define sustainable <laughs> consumption, and I ended up with yeah. something that I—it's like an oxymoron. It, it seems like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I came up with was thriving in ways that promote the thriving of others present and future you know if you can thrive as you know the the bruntland definition was meet for sustainability was meet the needs of the present without jeopardizing the ability of future generations to meet their needs so it's like meet our needs get us out of poverty uh, in ways that ultimately in the ideal case don't cause poverty later in life for other people later in, in the history of the, the world. But that's just, again, not setting our sights nearly high enough. Why not thrive, which is the goal of meeting your needs in ways that promote thriving for others. And if, it seems like that's what nature's doing, you know, has figured out how to do. And since we're part of nature anyway, let's just get back on track being like the, the rest of the tree of life that we're from and let's just figure out how we should be thriving in ways that promote thriving
1: that's the metaphor of the tree
0: yeah
2: oh yeah
1: as a tree thrives then everything else around it thrives and it becomes you know everything's better for it yeah. right so your yeah. gratitude tree makes a lot of sense
0: yeah
2: you've mentioned humanity a little bit and social issues. And I know Mm -hmm. that you're also, you're working on a social life cycle and social component, and you're also working on some human rights, due diligence and social compliance. So that's an interesting aspect to add into this. We're actually creating a strategy in our own firm to specify Mm -hmm. materials and to design with economy, I guess, or Mm -hmm. trying trying to hit that net positive at some point. But Factoring in, trying to factor in social accountability right. as well. So, right. that's
0: great. Yeah, the the social LCA piece is the the cousin or or sister of the environmental LCA. They're, they have so much in common. Of course, the supply chain is the same supply chain, but in addition to all the pollutant and resource flows, there are there are issues and risks of doing harm to people, the people involved in those processes, you know, forced labor and excessive working time and poverty wages and other forms of exploitation. And, and so we want to basically, we we have a social footprint, just like we have an environmental footprint. We want to reduce that social footprint and ultimately create social handprints too. And this is a field that's been around for a while. Um, the, you, you might have found the Social Hotspot Database. Um, that's something you can check uh, Check the web for, just Social Hotspot Database. My wife and I co-created that um, back around uh, sort of between 2005 to 2010, and we made it um, available for use in lifecycle assessment software uh, around 2010. It, it basically – you need all this data, like John said, in order to trace your supply chain and to understand the risks, the social risks, just like the pollution. And so that social hotspot database was the first database to, to provide that so that we could we could do social uh, footprinting and handprinting. Mm.
2: That's amazing. Again, thank you. I feel like we owe you so yeah. much. That's incredible. <laughs> I will resources. definitely check out that database, social hotspot database.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's definitely about understanding your impact but in mm-hmm. in so much depth. And I think one of the things that you do Greg that is really unique is you know you're taking this research from the bottom up. You also have another tool called is it handprinter?
0: Yeah, there's a website called handprinter.org that sort of stems in a way I mean from the, it was really helped anyway to to come into being by the meeting with the Dalai Lama. You know, that was um, back in 2011, Dan Goldman, who's involved in the Mind and Life Institute, which is promotes these dialogues between Buddhism and Western science. He said, we're going to have a session in India with his holiness on ecology, interdependence and ethics. And we'd like you to come present LCA and Footprints. And, and, I mean, I, of course I said, you know, I'll carry the water. I just can't believe this opportunity, um, sign me up. But I did say, could I please explain also handprints because I think the Dalai Lama would really like handprints and, you know, maybe go the <laughs> handprints and it'll, you know, take off or something. And, All right, wait, okay. wait.
1: I'm just going to say, Berta, <laughs> we now have an introduction to the Dalai Lama. Right. So, well, Greg, after this, we're going to work on on getting him on.
0: You know, you, <laughs> I'll put you in touch with Dan, and Dan can definitely get you. <laughs> yeah. um, Sorry to interrupt. Continue. So, um, that's a good goal. Um, but Dan said, well, we'll see. I don't know what you're talking about with this handprint thing, but we really want you to present you know life cycle assessment because he had interviewed me for a book called ecological intelligence where i showed him the supply chains and all the pollution and stuff then we had the organizing meeting and that prompted me to really tr- try and lay out this whole handprint concept with more rigor than i had done before and so i did that for the group the organizing committee and they loved it and they said oh yeah bring that to india and so I did, and, and I presented it there, and the Dalai Lama smiled and nodded and said, very good, carry on. It, it seemed sort of like a no-brainer to him, I think. You know, he knows we're all interconnected. I mean, he just experiences that viscerally. Uh, also, this gets a little deep, but the Tibetan Buddhists for a long time didn't seem to believe that Westerners don't love ourselves. Uh, this idea that we that we need to develop self compassion is something that they didn't believe uh, until scientists really showed. No, we we have issues over here in the West, and we actually don't <laughs> tend to love ourselves. We might even loathe ourselves in, to a certain extent. And you know, the whole guilt story of, of footprinting is, is,
1: which is why we have consumerism. Maybe
0: so to fill because, in the,
1: because we don't we don't love ourselves. So be. that's why we. My stuff it could be
0: somehow it was a no-brainer the whole thing of love the planet like you love yourself and we can be positive that was a no-brainer to the Dalai Lama but during the coffee break some people came up to me and said wow they were Westerners and they said wow that's really wonderful how do we help you bring that to life in the world and I I thanked them and we um, when we came back to the US they helped us launch the hand printer platform which is meant to make it possible for any person to start handprinting right away. And to, it gives them ideas, but it, these ideas come from other users. So it's really a way for, I like to say, for humanity to co-create the handprinting movement, again, from the ground up, like you say, John. All the ideas, every idea in the, hand, in the database uh, on the hand printer platform comes from a user who said? Well, we could we could do this, and then we we do the LCA of of that action, and if it turns out positive, we, you know, it's it's there, and you can take it.
1: Yeah, but again, the the, the critical piece there is is not to use that to um, justify all your bad behavior right. by saying, well, no, I I offset it with some good stuff. Right. The point of that is to is to use that as direction
2: mm-hmm.
1: for your own energies and your own activities because you want to leave behind that handprint. That's
0: right. right? That's totally right. And and it's, it's yeah. really how do we look for opportunities to – remember we talked about feedback early on and the missing feedback loops. Feedback loops can create these kind of snowball effects. So I'm always looking for, and I think handprinting needs to look for – opportunities to not just do something good yes do something good you know create a healing action but can you heal in ways that promote healing we might maybe say or you know create a positive change that will be get more and more positive That's designed to ripple That's designed to snowball Mm -hmm. that's what you you really you know want to do and it turns out There are huge opportunities for that that we we haven't been noticing. I I could tell you about the rebound effect and this snowball issue, maybe these save waves uh, real quick. So a report actually came out just a few weeks ago where scientists have taken a fresh look at the rebound effect, and it's pretty big and it's pretty discouraging, um, first of all. So the rebound effect says – when I screw in that LED light bulb and I'm feeling good about it, I'm feeling good for two reasons. One, it reduced my footprint. Two, it's saving me money. But the bad news is it's saving me money that I'm gonna respend on something else. What if I mm-hmm. use it to, you know, buy more food that I wouldn't have bought or do some other consumption activity? you know, put more gas in the car and drive take a trip that I wasn't going to drive because I didn't have the spare, you know, gas money. Or whatever it is, people res maybe it's, oh, now lighting is cheap. Who cares about turning off the lights? You know? Or I'll put outdoor lighting yeah. that I don't really need. Or whatever it is, the rebound effect is when you re spend those savings that you're you're going to do. You you now have money you wouldn't have had and you will use it right. to, to 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 grow your footprint.
1: Right. Look at what's happened in the pandemic. We all stopped spending money on on traveling yeah. and trips, yeah. and now what's happening? This massive uh, jolt of consumerism. We're buying appliances. We're renovating exactly. homes.
0: We're some. So the question is totally: How do we respend it? What I love to envision and promote, and we have this a little bit already in the handprinter website, is this idea of save waves. Remember the buy some LED light bulbs and give them to your friends. The idea is when you give the light bulb to your friend and they say, wow, how do I thank you? You say, pay it forward. You know, you're going to save, you're Mm going to save this much money per month with this light bulb. If you would just save six months savings, capture that money and reuse it to buy two more light bulbs for two more people. That would be awesome. And then if they do that, you know, this thing could totally snowball after, I think it's after 10 cycles, you get to a factor of a thousand. So after 20 cycles, you get to a factor of a million and 30 cycles. If we could pass it on every week, we'll reach everyone on the planet. You know, you start on January 1st, you reach everyone on the planet before August. And we could do that with light bulbs and we do it with efficient shower heads. And, of course, hopefully you're you're recruiting people into hand printing with each one of these touches. Same thing with the tire inflation. You know, the person says, wow, that's nice of you. You just maybe hand them a little card that says go to check out handprinter.org and get involved in this and create these ripples so that the rebound effect can end up being this this snowballing thing, the, the mm. fuel for the snowball. And, uh, you know, I haven't run these calculations yet. I, I should just to be able to tell a student or, a, or an adult, it's not that hard to imagine that you could create this massive snowball. And we should all just be, what a fun game. You know, what, wouldn't that be cool if we could really visualize our snowball effect and kind of detect it and inspire people to get on these, let's just try these quests of how big of a snowball of positive healing can you create, unleash the creativity and the Mm. You know, the spirit of fun yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. On this. Uh, I mean, we, we, you know, you could almost do it with Fitbits, yeah. right? So that, that's what you need. You know, you need that little community that can compete with each other. And I can see what Vert has done today mm-hmm. and, and it will make me try to catch up and she can see what I've done today. I don't know. It's yeah. there's merit there for sure. Well, it's yep. in a
2: way it's what we're doing, trying to do here with this podcast, trying to find right. you know, trailblazers and leaders who are. Disrupting the status quo and trying to
0: mm-hmm.
2: reimagine a new model that works better for the planet.
0: Yeah, and solves. Yeah,
2: solves for yeah. all of our crises.
1: We want to bring voices like yours to you know this interior design community that needs to hear from different perspectives, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You know, knowing that we were going to have a scientist on today, I, I never would have anticipated <laughs> the way this conversation. Took a turn into such a you know a spiritual vein. It really unexpected for me. It's been great. That's
0: cool. yeah. It's been great. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Well, you know, designers of spaces. I mean, that's another. It, it, think about the handprint potential there—that you create a space that inspires people to take actions that snowball and and it, it and it's you. Maybe you've had sessions already about that, but. That's a that's a huge hand. Well,
1: it's Verda. This is. I mean, I can't tell you, Greg. We are literally talking about this. You know, are is there a way for interior design to benchmark Mm. their impact? Mm -hmm. And you know, we we're really struggling with it because there are ways for us to benchmark the impact that buildings have, right? And our consumption of these massive building materials like concrete yeah. and gypsum board. but how do we measure how do we benchmark how do we create a set of metrics around interior design that tells us what kind of a footprint the interior space or the decisions mm-hmm. yeah. about that interior space right yeah, mm-hmm. so it's been challenging. That's actually pretty I, I you know, It never occurred. As much as I love the concept of hand printing, and Mm -hmm. I've been talking about it for so long, you know, it's never occurred to me that oh my god, you could absolutely have a hand printing model for interior design. Yeah, right. Which could be pretty
0: cool. Yeah, you know, you mentioned wearing a lot of hats, and and I think you had stick bulb on, right? You had Russell from stick. Yeah. Yeah. He, great. He's so awesome. I, I, I still need to check out that, that session. He's a member they're stick Bulb's a member of shine. And so we get to benefit from his ah. generativity often, uh, in, you know, on a monthly basis, at least they're using a new tool that, that we also rolled out called earthster. That's another.org earthster.org. And
1: yeah, I was going to ask you about that.
0: Th- you know, that's a footprinting tool first first of all and so it's a way to we're we're trying to basically enable life cycle assessment to become free to become incredibly easy almost fun to do and feel almost like a video game you know be that sort of be interactive and be um,
1: gamify it a little yeah. bit
0: and and it enables you to share information across participants in the supply chain so, when you find out from the database that, you know, uh, the the boat, it, it turns out to be the big part of my, the footprint of my meal there with the tuna, I might be able to ask the, the fisher, fishing company, you know, could you use Earthster and calculate your footprint and then I'll use your data rather than just the average that's in the database and mm-hmm. they can send it. and. I think that's step one, you know, is, as you say, that we need to initially know the footprints of, of the interior design for a, for a given space. But then again, we, we need to take that next step while we're reducing it, is how can that space um, change people's minds and lives and actions so that it has a huge ripple effect? You know, the Bullet Center and some of the other living buildings out there they're known to have changed the lives of of people who've been in those spaces, people who worked on those projects. We we just got to be in the business of trying to create this sort of transformation uh, wherever we can these days.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't stop thanking you, but these tools are just yeah. what we need to, to get us started. And like you said, to create these ripple effects, Cool, amazing work. And I can't believe how many, how many organizations Thanks, you're in involved <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it takes or started God. databases or... That Greg heard. must
1: get do you get more than 24 hours in a day or
2: something <laughs> yeah. we don't know
1: about uh, it what's the secret the, the sun comes well, up hey, early in you.
0: maine that's one of my secrets <laughs> 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 and the other secret of course is well, teams yeah. you know yeah teaming yeah. up with people yeah, yeah that's for sure
1: absolutely well we're certainly happy that we could team up with you today and I got so much out of John, this, and I just want to thank you for taking the time, John.
2: I don't know about you, but I want Greg back on again for part two. Yeah, you've been, you've been absolutely yeah. amazing. Thank you so much.
0: Well, thank you both. I knew it. We
1: wouldn't be able to. We wouldn't be able to do it all in one episode. So, Greg, we're going to definitely
0: keep you close. Okay, that sounds <laughs> great. Thank you both.
2: All right. Wow, John, that was really amazing. What a great conversation with Greg. Now, I just. What a contributor. He's just given so much to our industry.
1: Yeah, man, I really love Greg Norris. He is um, brilliant, actually. You think about what he's created in hand printing. And I actually think about that gratitude tree all the time where before you sit down to eat a meal, you should really think about what had to happen For you to have that meal. So very cool. And um, real quickly, our next episode is going to be really, really interesting like they all are. We're going to be talking with textile designer, Lori Weitzner. And Lori is going to talk to us a little bit about what she does with her sustainability program with her, her textile design. And it's a great episode. And we actually fall into a whole new conversation that I think speaks volumes about social equity.
2: Great. And we haven't had a textile designer on our podcast yet. So I'm looking forward yeah. to it.
1: A kind of right. spirit for you.
2: Good stuff. Yeah. All right, everyone. All right. Everybody. Tune in next time. Thank you.